Mackenzie. Mm. It's time to come back from vacation. Mm. We have to record a podcast. No, I don't want to. Not even for a Scooby snack. A Ruby Rack? Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Today we are talking about two Scooby-Doo's. Specifically two, not 12, because there are 12 Scooby-Doo's. Over is, the course, well, there are 12 TV series of Scooby-Doo's. I would argue that there are 12 different Scooby-Doo's. Well, there are, what I'm saying is, as far as animated <laughs> TV series, there are 12. Okay. There not, have been many more. Not there, counting the movies. Not counting the, the live action movies, the live action TV movies, the made for TV movies, the direct to DVD movies. There's quite a few more incarnations of Scooby-Doo. There's Lego Scooby-Doo. It's true. They really need, like, with this multiverse of Scooby-Doo's, they need, like, a crisis on infinite Scoobies to really just condense it down. Oh my gosh, that's it. Take the best Scooby and the best Shaggy and the best Velma, put them all together. Which we'll have to talk about because maybe they're on their way. <laughs> Possibly. Patent pending. <laughs> so let's talk about Scooby-Doo. Okay. What is Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo is, depending on the show... A dog belonging to a gang of friends who may or may not be sentient in talk. And together... You mean the friends are not sentient or the dog is not sentient? Good point. It could be both. Okay. Might be all in the dog's imagination. I, 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 I think that works more. <laughs> that solves so many dramaturgical issues I have with Scooby-Doo. <laughs> As if it's all in Scooby's head. And he's really in a shelter somewhere. And he's not a dog. And he's... Wait, the, he's a I rabbit? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it is Bugs Bunny in retirement in his old age. <laughs> Thinking he's a dog. Dressing up as multiple people. Solving mysteries. Mm. Crossover. Patent pending. <laughs> <laughs> so Scooby and his four friends, or sometimes more or sometimes less, depending on the show, but mostly Scooby, Shaggy, a.k.a. Norville Shaggy Rogers, um, and Daphne Blake... Those three, for some reason, always seem to be together. Plus, in many iterations, Fred Jones and Velma Dinkley, which is the best name I've ever heard in any cartoon show. And she's probably the best <clears throat> character of Scooby-Doo. She is. She's the only competent one. Unless she loses her glasses, and then... I yeah. think the glasses are the one supernatural thing that happens <laughs> in Scooby-Doo, because they're her source of power. And they're so thin, but she can't see without them. Like... At all. Whatsoever. <laughs> At all. She becomes blind. to the, It's like a daredevil thing. Which is, it would be okay if they like animated her with like thick glasses. She does only get pupils, though. So oh, tiny right. little pupils. So she may not even have eyes in the same way that we all do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to make it work. I think that's stretching a little. Um, let's see. They've been around since They're the They're probably late... Sonic. They're Sonic glasses. Sonic glasses. They're Sonic glasses. Are you suggesting that Velma is what happens to Peter Capaldi on Doctor Who next? I'm, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying there may be Sonic. She does wear an orange shirt, and he's always wanted to be a ginger. Hmm. Mm. I think it's a, it writes itself. 
I hope that that's our catchphrase for this show. I hope anyone listening has realized that it writes itself is our catchphrase. Go on about Scooby-Doo. So we have these five friends. Five friends, and they go around solving mysteries, or what they call mysteries. The term mystery here is is very Very loose. loose. Yeah, sometimes these mysteries are, why are they friends with the uh, band members of KISS? I don't know. Why are they wrestling (laughs) with WWE? Why are they invited on a billionaire's rocket ship to the moon and solving (laughs) mysteries on the moon? (laughs) We don't know. Also, the biggest mystery of all, who decided to make a live-action movie of Scooby-Doo? Well, Scooby-Doo is amazingly popular, so of course there would be a live-action movie. There's another one on the way. Oh, my God. Is it a reboot? Yes. Okay. At least does that go. It's scheduled for 2018. I will put this out there. Freddie Prince Jr. as Fred inspired casting. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. Hmm. I I think they could have made more about his hair being blonde in terms of that he had to bleach it. But him as Freddie... If they cast What's-Her-Face from Two Broke Girls as Velma, I'd be happy. Just cut her hair and give her glasses. Sassy sass. Sassatron. So the phenomena of Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. is that everyone knows who we're talking about. These characters have become iconic since mm-hmm. their first appearance in 1969. And everyone has a different TV show Scooby-Doo they grew up on. And everyone has a different Scooby-Doo that they prefer. Mm-hmm. So if you ask somebody what the best Scooby-Doo is, or what the best incarnation is, people will give different ones. From Pup Named Scooby-Doo to 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, which had Vincent Price. Yeah. So that has a lot going for it right there. Which I forgot about entirely until researching for this podcast. Well, 13 Ghosts of <clears throat> Scooby-Doo is the one Scooby-Doo where the ghosts are real. Mm-hmm. Every other incarnation of Scooby-Doo, they've never come across a real ghost. And I was reading about this. This TV show came about at the height of Ghostbusters. So I was really looking at the the backlog of old cartoon shows and deciding, hmm, what can we revive with ghosts? Oh my god, Scooby-Doo is a perfect fit for this. And so we get Scooby-Doo with real ghosts. Which I don't think works. No, and... For multiple reasons, it doesn't work, except for Vincent Price. Vincent Price works. It's like they're led by Doctor Strange, fighting Ghostbusters ghosts, with Scooby-Doo as the main character. They, they just had the wheel. <laughs> they just had our wheel. We have a wheel that we can roll to figure out what we're going to build shows based on. It's a mental wheel right now. It's a mental wheel, but... but we need to make it a, a real wheel. A real wheel? A, a, a real wheel. What Chris is saying is we need to reinvent the wheel. <sighs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about his the first episode of Scooby-Doo ever. Because then we get to see who Scooby is and who these characters really are. Mm-hmm. So, the very first episode of Scooby-Doo was, What a Night for a Night. Sorry. With a What K. a Night for a Knigget. So, K. <laughs> you didn't pronounce the H in there. Do you want to try it again? Well, that's how they say it in okay. Monty Python. Oh, okay. <laughs> Knigget. What a Night for a Night. September 1969 came in. And we realized <clears throat> that instead of jokes... 
<laughs> we get a laugh track. I mean, they do. There are jokes. They're just all terrible. Their their attempts at humor. The thing that they were trying to do is they needed to find a way to make it mysterious but not scary. Mm -hmm. I think their main goal was to not terrorize children, but have it like show children that things aren't scary. I don't know. I I think it was just from like looking back at other cartoons in the time, it's so different from anything else that we had at that time. And to really appreciate it, because looking back, this is a bad cartoon. It's a very bad cartoon. Very bad. With amazingly bland characters. Oh man. I mean, it's even Shaggy and Scooby are not very interesting. But in it was groundbreaking episode. at the time. Because it's all been like crazy talking animals, like having all sorts of air quotes, hilarious adventures. And then they take a whole bunch of kids, meddling kids. And really they are meddling. They are the definition of meddling. But they, they, yeah, they are. <laughs> they take they these embody kids. that. They got that right. Every villain. They take these kids and they put them in something that's so different. that hasn't been done for kids before. It's like a paranormal horror high school drama. I think I'm describing Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You are. <laughs> but and I think there were a couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that had characters who inspired by inspired Scooby right. Mm -hmm. But so they take these kids and put them in this show where they're air quotes solving mysteries. Um, and none of it's paranormal. It's 100% real and they're 100% real stereotypes of high school kids in the 60s. <laughs> you get the the bookworm Velma. Right. You get the cool kid Fred. You get beautiful Daphne. You get um I'm not sure if I can describe what Shaggy is in our podcast accurately and still keep this kid-friendly. Shaggy is a... Space cadet? Yeah. Space cadet. He's a bit spacey. That'll be our word for that. Spacey cowardy. Spacey cowardy. And they have Scooby-Doo, who, looking at the animation for this first episode, kind of looks like a person. I don't think they knew how far to take the animated... Um, cartoon dog. Yeah. I didn't, they didn't know where he could be cartoony and where he could be dog. Mm -hmm. Because at one point he does don a painter's outfit and paints. Which is very Bugs Bunny. Right. But there had been no precedent for that in the rest of the episode. He had been set up to be just a normal Great Dane. That Shaggy talks to. Right. But no one else can talk to. Well, other people talk to him. Well, yeah, but they don't think that he's going to talk back, I think. Not in this episode. It doesn't seem like that. He does respond back. Yeah. He's well, like, no, Fred has a conversation with him. Does he? Yeah. He's in like, this episode? Yeah. Because he uh, says, not even for a Scooby snack. And he's like, he's like, yeah, okay, you can have two Scooby snacks. But that might just be like, like how you would talk to your pet. No, I'm stretching. I think you're stretching. I, th I think they uh, understand him. I think fine. They, I think they understand him. Okay. So they understand Scooby, but this evolves over time, as we'll talk about later. But Scooby's like kind of this weird... I'm not sure how to describe him. He's almost like the, like the dumb jock of the group, almost. Really? He's got like this weird like big chin, or like the creepy older dude who hangs out with this gang of high schoolers. I don't know. Scooby-Doo's a creepy old guy who hangs out with teenagers? I don't know. Maybe. 
I retract the idea. You could put that idea forth. <laughs> I'm just going to stamp it and make sure that everyone knows that it's yours. Okay, that's fine. Is that fair? This is a certified McKenzie idea. <laughs> I don't know how to make a stamp sound. Okay. That's I realize you sound. can't see the motion I'm making as I time it well to the stamp sound. It was well timed. It was. Thank you. At least I get that from Chris. <laughs> well done. <laughs> the other thing about it is it's not scary. So no. It's, it's, Scooby-Doo is not funny in this incarnation, nor, nor is it scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the title sequence has more mystery <laughs> and horror than the actual episode itself. It has a moment of scariness. I take that back. I fully retract that. There is one moment that is just creepy as heck. And it's the... They're in this museum that they've broken into and destroyed <laughs> artifacts within. They, they throw Shaggy into a, a high window in the place... He proceeds to fall three stories. Three stories down somehow. <clears throat> There's not a floor there. And he crashes through and destroys multiple artifacts um, to get in this museum. They go in the museum, and there's this costume of Mayan, um, Mayan dress. Yeah, it's like a weird mask with like lots of feathers coming out of the head and like a weird and, poncho thing. And the eyes move. Mm-hmm. And that was creepy. And there was mystery there. There was mystery there. Yeah, I was I was creeped out by that. I wasn't creeped out by the actual monster that ends up chasing them. Yeah. Also, why is it's the the night the knigget of the title of the episode <laughs> is the only medieval thing in this entire museum. Right. Everything else is Egyptian. Well, he said put it in the put it in the medieval room, <laughs> of which it is. Wherever it's, it is, it's, it's a also medieval like the room. county museum. Like what county museum? <laughs> what county has a historical museum with Egyptian and medieval artifacts? What county are they in? And it's a massive museum too, because they have a biplane and, and other, hidden rooms and hidden rooms everywhere. Oh my god! And that biplane, which Shaggy and Scoopy do destroy. Yeah, I think that was the most traumatizing part for me was just how reckless they were in their destruction. I agree. The wanton destruction. They didn't have permission to enter this museum. They had to sneak in through a window. Shaggy destroyed I don't know how many artifacts falling through. They destroyed the biplane. Like, how is this museum going to stay open after they unmask the curator as a villain? They go in at night. They go in at night and they go for the door and they shake the door and they go, ah, locked. (laughs) <laughs> As if that's a surprise that late in the mm. middle of the night, this museum would be locked. I mean, look at the rest of their lives in this show. Everything else magically works out okay. I think it's reasonable, given how good their luck is as a team, to expect the door to just be unlocked. They catch villains by roller skating manically around and accidentally tripping into them. True. And they have, they have no tools. You would think they would go to their van, the mystery van. Which in other shows, they do have tools in the van. They kind of explain that. Oh, no, they take the ladder out of the van. Yeah, they take the ladder. Which is a really long ladder, a long wooden ladder for this van. But then they also get the jack out of the van to (laughs) jack up the ladder to reach even higher, which is... Totally safe. It's like Try this at home, kids. Exactly. Ooh, jack up the ladder. So what do you think of the... We have a lot of problems with this episode, you can tell. Chris, what do you think of the 
writing? Was there good stuff in this? Do you see diamonds in the rough? I think the one thing that they get going through is they're, they're trying to establish structure more than anything. I mm. don't think they're establishing much more than that. They have their cold open where we meet the monster and the mystery, and then the kids come in and the gang come in and drive in in their, their mystery machine, which is a pretty cool vehicle. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone wanted to own that. If you can't have the Batmobile, you at least you could have the mystery machine. Mm-hmm. You know. Did they, they've teamed up with Batman before. Oh, yeah. There's a whole, like, 60s Batman episode before Batman came back in the Super Friends. Right. So. One might say Super Friends is a spinoff of Scooby-Doo. That one would be you. <laughs> <laughs> you would say that. But um, as I think it's as far as figuring out what their what their basic structure is for their plot and how they tell their stories, that's what this had going for. It, is it sets up a rhythm, and it sets up the kind of situations that they will have. And um, I, I think that they figure out. They don't even tell us who these characters are very well in terms of anything because they split up rather fast mm-hmm. and. We get a little bit that Shaggy and Scooby are cowardly, but they're not, it's not expressly said very much. Mm -hmm. We don't get a lot of character. We don't even meet Velma as much as being the brain of things. Her glasses do break for the first time in this first episode. Right. We do get that she can't see without her glasses. (laughs) I'm sorry. She can't see without her sonic glasses. (laughs) I'm going to throw that out there. She has sonic glasses. Um, I don't think much stuck with me from this episode either. Um, I know I saw it as a kid. I loved this show as a kid. Like, on Boomerang, I watched Scooby-Doo all the time. Like, all the iterations of, like, 60s, 70s, early 80s Scooby-Doo. Saw all that. I thought it was great. Um, I can see why it's so easy to make fun of now. Well, the thing that makes it easy to make fun of is once they found their structure and their gags, that's what they built it on, is mm-hmm. when in the episode is this gonna happen? When is the in the episode is this gonna happen? They just created that structure, and that structure is what continues to this day. Mm-hmm. It's that structure, and, mm-hmm. well, in a lot of ways, though, you can give me your hmm, mm-hmm. your questioning mm-hmm. hmm. It's like Phineas and Ferb. I'm going to pull in Phineas from Ferb just for a quick second. Okay, come in here, guys. Uh, welcome, Phineas and Ferb. That's a lovely platypus. Um, here's what happens with Phineas and Ferb. Their episodes are so structured. You know what's going to happen when. Mm-hmm. And the <clears throat> joy of Phineas and Ferb are those episodes where they bend it because you know you have that expectation that they've layered on so frequently so it's like here's exactly when we say this phrase and if we don't we're going to make a thing of the fact that we're not saying it (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think scooby-doo in a lot of ways um the newer ones are playing with we know what you're expecting from scooby-doo episodes we're going to play with it and bend it and flip it and turn it and i think be cool scooby-doo the latest incarnation on Cartoon Network. Which started? In October of last year, 
have to keep getting used to saying last year, 2015. If you're listening to this somewhere in the future, one might say 2021 because we're popular then. Um, just a hypothetical guess. Come back in time and tell me if I'm right, because we'll have time travel by then too. Continuing on, in Be Cool Scooby-Doo, um, they have, I had to watch a couple other like segments that Cartoon Network has posted to YouTube to kind of verify this. They have gags as well. And they recycle like the same kind of, like where in the episode does this happen and this happen and this happen, but they're different gags as well. And it kind of transforms what we know about Scooby-Doo. I think the characters are very different in this one. And I loved the first episode, Mystery 101. Also, I love it's called Mystery 101 as the first episode. Ta-da! Um, I think the characters are all almost caricatures of their original selves, but they also have like their tragic flaw. Say one or two more sentences about that. So my biggest note that I wrote down about Be Cool Scooby-Doo is why is Daphne dumb now? Mm. Like Daphne is an airhead. I don't understand why she's dumb. I don't get that. It's like they saw like, oh, Daphne's the beautiful one. Let's make her the dumb one also. And there's been lots of iterations of Daphne. In a pup named Scooby-Doo, she's like this really kind of prissy, stuck-up rich girl. And I think she is like overall subtly the rich girl throughout the entire Scooby-Doo universe. Trademark. Wow. Good, good, <laughs> good one. Um, uh, I'm hmm. so jealous now. <laughs> you can have another one later. Okay. Okay. Um, and this is like the dumb Daphne. And while she's dumb, I think she's also the best part of this new show. Because her shtick, her gag is that each episode, she has some kooky thing that she's doing. In the first episode, Mystery 101, she has hand puppets of everyone in the gang. I watched herself a couple included. others. Yeah, herself included. Um, in other episodes, she has a beard and mustache for some reason that she buys <laughs> at like a wig shop. She wears like a mascot uniform when they're at the ballpark. Um, so there's always a thing that she's doing. And there's the subplot is Daphne being happy about trying a thing and being told it's dumb. And then when the gang hits their low point at the end of act two, um, Daphne uses her thing to cheer them up in some way and bring the gang back together. That's the structure of Be Cool Scooby-Doo. And I think that works. And I, I don't, I don't know if she is, if there's a method in her dumbness. <laughs> there's your one. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if there's method in her dumbness because I didn't see her as dumb. I saw her as innocent and accident prone, and possibly more immature. She acted younger than her age. Oh, yeah. Way down. I can see why she's friends with Scooby and Shaggy in this one. I will give them that. I can't see why Fred is friends with any of them, though. I think Fred is who everyone was as a little kid. And it's like Fred is just in his imagination, like as a little kid, is like, I want to solve mysteries with my best friends. And he's still in that. That's his tragic flaw. Fred just wants to solve mysteries. And in the same way, he's making mysteries in this show where there weren't any before. I mean, yes, there's a ghost named Elias Kingston haunting Elias Kingston University. But he wasn't invited to solve it. He just decides, like, let's solve this mystery. <laughs> and that's it. Like, And the genius of this first episode with Daphne's hand puppets 
if you look closely, they're all kind of cut and dressed like the original cast. As opposed to the new dress. As opposed to the new dress of the new characters. Like the stripes on Daphne's hand puppet dress are different than the stripes on her current dress. And they all say things that would be completely stereotypical of the original cast. Through Daphne. Through Daphne. And so it's kind of taking like, here's what you expect of Scooby-Doo in hand puppet form. And showing you, it is just a dumb puppet show. And then taking Daphne and showing you the new cast and what's different at the same time. I think it's a genius trick. I think it's super funny. I laughed at this episode. I really, I didn't think I would find it funny. I I laughed out loud and I don't normally laugh out loud. Mm -hmm. Although I did almost laugh during What a Night for a Night because the (laughs) laugh track was so like spellbinding. (laughs) There was something about like, I was laughing almost ironically because the laugh track was forcing me to. Uh, note for Nigel, can we get a laugh track to this episode? <laughs> yes, thank you. I just, in my head, I heard it when yes. you said that. When you, I, just going to be funnier if we don't have a laugh track now. Sorry, I was pausing for a laugh. We have to I, leave room for it in post. I, yeah. Um, I it. So what did you think of uh, Mystery 101? Besides, you laughed out loud. It made me want to watch more. Yeah. The thing that I liked about Mystery 101 is that there were... The pacing is much different. Mm -hmm. The pacing of the old Scooby-Doo leaves room for the mystery to grow and develop. It's very slow. Um, There are quick moments, but it's very slow in, in a lot of ways. Mystery 101 hits the ground running and will not stop. There's, If there's not a gag happening immediately, there will be one in two seconds. Mm-hmm. There's a gag every single moment. And I, I imagine that the writers together are just trying to punch it, punch it, punch it, punch it, punch it further, further. It feels less like a Scooby-Doo episode mm-hmm. and more... Like, um, oh, I can't think of an equivalent, but it feels it's very much grounded in the way that comedy and animation is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very sarcastic and it's very um, the humor is allowed to go to the extreme very quickly. You're right. It, it kind of it takes it is sarcastic because the character's tragic flaws are who they are in the original show and they're trying to escape that stuff like Velma is too smart that's her flaw and on her SATs her SAT score was a, a Nobel, Nobel Prize, Prize. <laughs> <laughs> what did you get on your SATs a Nobel Prize and so she decides to spend the summer in a broken down van with her friends traveling the country instead of taking her Nobel Prize Instead of getting accepted to this college, she says, I think I need to spend more time with my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's her tragic flaw. I think they are each other's tragic flaws in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. The fact that they need each other. Mm-hmm. This this group. They're a codependent group. They are. Like a lot. But within that codependent group, there's the ultimate codependent group, which is Shaggy and Scooby. Yeah. So. But everyone talks to Scooby and sees him acting like a real person in this show. And he has more language. He does. And I think part of it... doesn't just say, like, Ruby Roo or Ruby Rack. That's true. 
I, I think part of it is Frank Welker being able to be uh, Scooby's voice. Because mm. I, I was wondering if it was Frank Welker, and then I did get that confirmation that it was. <laughs> so Frank Welker's doing Freddy and Scooby, both. Hmm. And Frank Welker's the original voice of Freddy. So he's the one oh holdover. Oh my god, is he? Mm-hmm. He is. He's the he sounds really young for <laughs> being, being as at least 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can find out how old uh, Frank Welker is, but... I feel yeah. like there's, there's, a, there's a play in there somewhere, or a movie or something. Like, the, the trajectory of your career is young voice actor as the, the handsome Freddy, and then almost 50 years later, you're playing the dog in the same show. <laughs> <laughs> and the handsome one. And the handsome one. But in this case, yeah, Scooby-Doo is the old guy who uh, hangs around with these teens. Hmm. But okay. what, what was your favorite thing out of these things that we watched, of these two episodes of Scooby-Doo? There's a ton of Scooby-Doo that's out there to experience. Mm. Um, but of the two things that we watched, what was your favorite thing? I have two things. It was hard for me to pick one, I think. And they're both from Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Number one is Daphne's Scooby Puppet, just pulling it out, making him go, <laughs> at one point, before Scooby can say anything. <laughs> Laughed out loud at that. And um, Velma's reassuring the group in the same episode, the chances of us being killed and or higher educated are negligible. <laughs> My wife laughed at that one. <laughs> My wife did enjoy that, that line. Um, what was your favorite thing? My favorite thing was also from Be, Be Cool Scooby-Doo. It was the... Um, it, it was a play on Fred telling Shaggy and Scooby to be the ones to go investigate. <laughs> and so Fred says, go investigate this tower where we've seen the ghost. And Shaggy just says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You want the biggest cowards here <laughs> should go into this tower where the ghost is. Like, that's what you're saying. <laughs> this ghost who's waiting to kill us. Uh, this is what I'm, he says it three different ways. He has a PowerPoint. <laughs> And then he has a scale model of the school, complete oh with God. figures. And then before, he's like, look, you could have been there and back by now. And then he has, well, I also have actors to do a reenactment of this. <laughs> and then they don't need the actors. And the actors ask, are we still getting paid? And that's the best part of it is how these actors got. And that's the kind of joke that, yeah. that I love is it just goes so far off yeah it has the magic of punchline one punchline two punchline three and then an extra punchline about the punchlines on top of that oh i it, love it. it it just i i watched that part i rewound that part <laughs> to watch it multiple times i rewatched parts of this episode too so mm. what we're trying to say is be cool scooby-doo while not having the greatest name in scooby-doo in the scooby-doo universe <laughs> uh is worth worth checking out yes absolutely i'm gonna watch more um in unfinished business you have some unfinished business i feel like i have to bring something up because i have really strong emotions right now um when this episode airs it'll be a couple weeks before gravity falls comes to an end mm. and we haven't talked about it much on this show yet i watched it early on in the podcast and i was hooked i've watched everything i can't believe it's ending i've had the full emotional spectrum of a new show that I love. I'm binge watching everything. Oh my God, they're going to cancel it. Ugh. 
And so that's coming to an end. But also, when this airs this weekend, Venture Brothers resumes. Another one of my favorite shows. So I have like turmoil of like being sad that I'm losing a show, but also an old friend is coming back. An old friend that's done six seasons in 14 years. So I really have to cherish this friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so check both out. Just FYI, Venture Brothers, this weekend when this episode airs, and Gravity Falls in a couple weeks when this airs, the grand finale. Whew. Do it. And now, homework time. Next time, we're going to be talking about... Oh, I was, I was just going to go for the voice huh? Oh, that's good. Go ahead. Do it again. 60s. No, do it again. Do again? 60s and I'll, I'll do. Go ahead. In the new voice? Yeah. Okay. Batman. That was Batman with bronchitis. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so Batman, but not just Batman. Batman. Specifically, I was going to say specifically one Batman, but it's technically two Batman. Batman? Plural Batmans? It's like elf Two and incarnations <laughs> of Batman. So we're lo- we're going to concentrate on Batman the animated series. We're just gonna talking about tone and what they do with tone in Batman the animated series. Uh, we're going to be looking at three episodes: Batman the animated series, season one, episode forty-six. <laughs> almost got him. Um, and then what qualifies as the new Batman Adventures. Same universe. Same universe. Epi- uh, season 1, episode 12, Over the Edge. And season 1, episode 19, Legends of the Dark Knight. So watch those before next week. Do your homework. Do like your homework. Velma. Do your homework, Velma. <laughs> Where's the episode? <laughs> As always, thanks to our engineer, Nigel Cotino, and Jacob Reed for the music. Catch us on the web at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com, WG Animated on Twitter, and www.facebook.com slash WG Animated. Goodbye. Good night, everybody.